Welcome to the Leading Voices with ULI, a podcast of the Urban Land Institute. In this podcast series, we interview city builders who use innovative approaches to create healthier, more economically vibrant communities with character and a high quality of life. These leaders provide inspiration to those of us looking to play a role in building better cities. Hi, I'm Matt Sleppin, a longtime member of ULI and one of its foundation governors. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to speak with Steve Wilson, who with his wife, Laura Lee Brown, are the founders and creative force behind 21C Museum Hotels. They opened their first hotel in downtown Louisville in 2006, and now they have four hotels in operation and half a dozen or so in development. The genesis and concept behind the business is that the initial hotel was built both as a hotel and to house Steve and Laura's art collection. Each of the hotels combined both hotel, restaurant, and gallery space with art as exhibition versus as decoration. I found many things fascinating about the conversation, in particular finding lessons from the 21C model for entrepreneurs with passions outside of art. Steve's creating a de novo hotel operating platform versus using existing hotel management, and also his personal thoughts on time of life and aging. All fascinating and food for thought. Here we go. So, Steve, you had a vision and goals in starting up the 21C Museum Hotel business. And I understand from what I've read in our brief prior conversation that the vision was more personal in some ways than business, and that you were combining a love of art, a desire to, for a place to share your art collection, maybe even a place to live yourself, um, a goal to help find a draw for downtown Louisville, and an antidote for suburban sprawl. And also, I don't think you were planning to start a second career at the age that most people retire. So maybe help us get started with thinking through how you started this business and what your vision or backwards into the vision it was. Well, that's uh, that's quite a lot to talk about. But yes, that's, that's a pretty good capsule of my life at the moment. I, uh, I am 68, and... Uh, have no intentions of retiring. I'm having too much fun. Uh, my wife and I are contemporary art collectors and have been for since, well, my wife has been a collector since her 20s, I guess. So our interest in art and travel and uh, land preservation are pretty much what brought us together. And once we were married and traveling together, collecting we were looking for a place to share the art collection. We live in a, a large, uh, old, sort of southern-style farmhouse where the collection was hanging, and we had lots of friends who loved to come and see what we were doing, and they brought their friends, and other museums brought busloads of people. So we thought we needed, would like to have a more public place to hang the art. At the same time, the mayor of Louisville was a good friend and leading an effort to try to revitalize the city center in Louisville, and we wanted to participate in that. So those are two of the major reasons. I guess the overriding concern we had was suburban sprawl eating up the farmlands east of Louisville. 
it's you know a problem in Kentucky, but also across the country and everywhere. We had a had a, a overriding vision that if we could make the city centers more interesting places to live and work, that perhaps there'd be less desire to drive to the country every morning and every night. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it didn't make a lot of sense to us to um, to spend so much time in a car if you, if you could be happy downtown. Absolutely. So, so that's we, art. Uh, uh, that's art and that's downtown. So now, now I need hotel. Okay. Well, the hotel is harder to understand. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we were, we travel a great deal and visit many of the art fairs around the world. And we had noticed in our travels that art was very often more integral to the community than many of the American cities that we are, that we had understanding of. Uh, in Venice, the Biennale, the art fair every two years is all over the city as well as exhibitions occupy vacant buildings and for old factories and plazas. And we noticed that in other cities as well, Istanbul, Cologne, Rome. And we thought that perhaps there was a way to combine travel and art and uh, do it in a way that would be interesting and that would make people want to come. So against all the professional advice that we could get, we (laughs) plunged in we bought five empty buildings on the corner of 7th Main in downtown Louisville, and we hired Deborah Burke, a great architect that we we have loved working with, who had an understanding of contemporary art. And so we designed a museum hotel. It was uh, sort of the driving goal was to design for art and never consider art is decoration. We always planned and still hang art um, in a curated exhibition fashion like any other museum does. And um, now if you you fast forward to today, 10 years later, we've shown over 83 exhibitions in all of our locations. Um, We have an art staff of 16 and unlike any other hotel, we have an entire staff to deal with the art, with the storage, the transportation, the uh, conservation. So, uh, amazingly, we've been successful. <laughs> and uh, one grew to, as I said, one grew to six, and others are coming. Unbelievable. Let, let's let's dig in a little bit about what it was at first. You said you bought five empty buildings downtown. Did you tear them down, or did you renovate them for this purpose? No, we. We restored them, and we used historic tax credits to do so. So the model was so edgy, we really needed every possible help that we could get. We actually got a small grant from the city, and we used historic tax credits, and we used uh, tourism increment tax credits as well. So Uh by cobbling together those different sources of funding, we created a budget that we thought would work. and. As many of your listeners may know, restoring an old building is often more expensive or at least more time-consuming than just tearing down and starting new. But we like celebrating the history of the community, the of the building. We like to be green, and um, we like to use what 
everything that can possibly be used from the past for the future. Sounds sounds amazing. How and and the space has an art gallery, or is the art integrated in the public spaces of your of the buildings, or both? Well, both. Uh, we we like to put art in surprising places, but when we we start by finding a building that we think will work, and um, with a lot of analysis and conceptual drawings, we design the lobbies. All of the lobbies in all of our hotels are, if you were to walk into them, they are designed as museum spaces. So um, you would not, you would first think museum before you think hotel. So the walls, the the lighting, the infrastructure is all based on rotating art. Uh Um, after we built the first one, I wasn't really, we had no intention of building others, um, but other people in other communities liked what we had done, and some asked us to partner with us in their communities, and others asked us to come and do the same thing, various people for various different reasons, but, as you know, there are many cities in America that have great old buildings that are in their downtowns or on the town square that really need some tender love and care. And oftentimes they get torn down just because no one knows what else to do with them. Absolutely. We've been very lucky uh, in the kinds of buildings that have come our way. My first impression that the idea was that we couldn't, we couldn't possibly do that because the core of our concept was being unique. But after we considered it, more and and went to see some of the buildings it became apparent that the character of the architecture of each building does make them unique enough that even though if you stayed in more than one of our hotels you you certainly recognize the connection but uh, the buildings in louisville are former bourbon and tobacco warehouses the the one in oklahoma city is a former model t ford factory a couple of our buildings are banks um, and we have one brand new construction in Bentonville, Arkansas, happened to have an empty lot near the courthouse. So it was uh, also downtown. Right. And one of the uniting factors between what you've described and your existing properties are secondary markets, older downtowns that are in need of revitalization. Talk about kind of picking those types of markets versus primary markets, which our listeners hear about the most, and the risks inherent in that, and then the community building that you get to do. Okay. Well, uh, certainly Louisville is a secondary market. Our political leaders like to call it the 16th largest city in America. I don't know if that's really true, but um, (laughs) when we analyzed our success in Louisville and we approached the idea of other cities, we, we, you know, we wanted to embrace what we were more familiar with. Um, and so these cities that you mentioned, um, Cincinnati, Durham, Oklahoma City, Kansas City, are all cities that have a need for restoration of their, some buildings in their city centers. And very often these cities also do not have a great hotel. Many of them have had a great hotel that's fallen on hard times or Often they have new hotels that are built in the suburbs. 
so we went to the cities that we felt comfortable with uh, in the beginning. But now that we have had a lot of critical acclaim, we've been on the Condé Nast Traveler's top 10 list with many of the locations. So we are actually looking at larger cities. We've come to realize that no one's doing what we're doing anywhere. So we think that we're ready for a major market. So we are looking uh, at larger cities. We are the only museum that opens 24 hours a day, every day of the year, and free to the public. And within these six, well, counting Nashville is seven, we are actually exhibiting contemporary art in more exhibition space than any other institution in America. So, That's uh, impressive. yes. It, I'm really proud of that. And we are, you know, we are taking contemporary art to the heart of America. Lots of people would love to go to New York or L.A. and visit museums, but many of them can't. <clears throat> so I feel like we're reaching more people than many of the institutions, the great institutions that are, are in our larger cities. Also, it's a different environment. If you, you, know, you pay $10 and you go into the, one of the modern museums of art around the country, and they're wonderful, fabulous places, but art in a museum does have a more sterile quality than art in a living space that you're passing through and spending time and maybe walking with a glass of wine. Right. That's that's very true. And my wife likes to say that it's uh, pedestrian, uh, not in a negative sense, but you can walk right in off the street. Many of our friends in Louisville will pass, <laughs> instead of going around the corner of 7th and Main, they'll, they'll come in one door on 7th and walk through and out another door in Main. <laughs> <laughs> just to see what's going on. And we we have class, uh, school classes that come in. And um, what we had not expected in Louisville is that we have become somewhat of an arts community center. We we created a large atrium that in, in design was meant to be a space to exhibit sculpture. But not understanding the hotel industry... <laughs> As, as I as I certainly did not, we needed the space for events and uh, banquets and weddings, and I never dreamed of people having a wedding in the middle of our contemporary art, but they do. The ballet has performed there. The Actors Theater has actually commissioned a play to be done in the hotel. We have Sunday drawing classes. Um, it's just really wonderful to see how other people have figured out how to use the space. If it's an organization, a nonprofit, uh, an arts organization, you don't charge for the space if it's available. We certainly, you know, for weddings and corporate events and right. ticketed events, we do charge. But um, we found that for- we don't have to worry about income because if there's a group of people there for an event of some kind, they very often will go to the bar and have a drink or uh-huh. and stay longer. And- right. And and there's no charge if someone's just walking through. No. No, and uh, we see people there at all hours. Um, So, you know, after work or even after a concert or late at night, there's often people there. Of course. So let's talk a little bit about the impact that you're having in downtown Louisville, not just relating to art, but has, has this spurred other redevelopment around the area? Are your guests tourists? Are they business people? Are they folks in the suburb who are coming downtown for dinner in the evening? Okay, help help me understand what it's doing for the city. Okay. Well, 
as I mentioned, I, we didn't know anything about hotel management or restaurant management. So when we started, we hired consultants in both areas. Um, and we determined early on that it was important that the restaurant have, an, have its own identity and not be thought of as a hotel restaurant. So the restaurant in Louisville and all the others have a separate name and they're chef-driven, connected to local farmers. And so we opened the restaurant first, giving it a chance to build its own identity before we opened the hotel, which also gives the staff time to train and be ready for in service and, and events. I mention that because unlike many hotels, we, we see that about half of our revenue comes from food and beverage. So the restaurant is marketed to the community and, of course, the hotel to travelers. So we have a lot of local people in the facilities using the restaurant, bringing their friends. Uh, and then, of course, if they have out-of-town friends who spend the night or weddings or whatever, that does spill into the hotel. But our demographics right. are strangely broad. We don't, we're not marketing to a segment. In Louisville, we have 90 rooms, and we have the highest room occupancy and the highest room rate in the city. So what we found is that our, as our room rate has risen, it has allowed other hotels to raise their rates as well. So it's been helpful to them. But to your question about the community, there are new restaurants um, around us and in the city as well. Um, I'm just I'm trying to visualize as I sit in Oklahoma City, there are buildings along the street that have opened. There's a Kentucky Art and Craft Museum across the street that was open when we did, but they are now renovating and taking on more space. Um, there's prob We need more retail, actually, but um, hopefully that will come. But when we opened, no, there was no one on the street at, at night, and we worried that people wouldn't come downtown to, come, to go to dinner. Right. We worried about the parking factor. We, we just didn't know what the outcome would be. But um, it's been really great. I bet and it must emanate block by block. You see, of course, it's gradual. Development is. And if yeah. your restaurant's too crowded, there's going to be another one popping up because they can get the overflow. Right. There's a new restaurant directly across from us on 7th Street. Uh, the city, the, the core seems to be at 4th Street. So we pushed that business district to 7th. And there is this... Uh, in an interstate overpass at ninth, so that seems to be the edge now. And that's, and other people are buying buildings and making plans for beyond Ninth Street. So it, as you say, it's an incremental process, and we see that in other cities as well. Sure, I guess I I need to we need to get investors to buy the buildings around the building that you buy because it's a leading edge here. So it may be a good right. investment. You're creating value for the neighborhood. Yes, we are, and it's. It's gratifying. We like doing that, and we like helping others figure it out. Uh -huh. So maybe you can't do this, but, but help me think of a way, uh, the, the lessons from the success of your hotels that don't depend on art. Um, are there more generic qualities to what you've done, how you've done it, what you've designed, where you've located that works with, if not art, and maybe there needs to be a special dynamic like music or other types of exhibitions. I don't know. But but help think about that a little bit. Well, um, 
it is hard for me to imagine other, I, you know, our project was passion driven and um, obviously we're risk takers. And I think you see in all communities and all walks of life, there has to be those people who step out ahead and, and take a risk for things to change. And I think, um, you know, it's important to be engaged in the community. And I, it's hard to imagine how another person might do that. But I, I know that in Louisville, there's a wonderful African-American woman who started selling cookies out of a basket. And uh, now she has a commercial kitchen and uh, selling her cookies in baskets, but all across the city. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. Uh, there are wonderful entrepreneurs that have figured out great ways to make a business. I, I love the guy who created the Dollar Shave Club. It's an internet, and I don't know where he's located, but it, <laughs> he's made right. a fortune, and I'm happy. I'm a happy member. So uh, it takes a passion. It takes imagination. Uh, I'm sure. Hopefully, there are some of your listeners who have a dream, an idea that that they want to pursue. And I I would suggest looking in the areas of your community that need help because the government, your city government, the state governments very often are all interested in helping young entrepreneurs who who have a dream. This these um, one of the reasons that we went to the cities we did is because certainly, you know, New York City doesn't necessarily need another hotel. They're not they're not going to, to uh there usually aren't um, as many financing options in places that are highly successful already. So there are tourism incremental tax credits available in many cities in areas that the community is interested in growing or needs. And historic tax credits are federal and state sponsored. So we found that some states are more interested than than others. So our financing in Missouri is different than it was in Kentucky and different than it is in Tennessee. Have you done any of these or seen any of these in a suburban community? I grew up in um, in suburban Philadelphia, and the suburbs of Philadelphia are real towns. It's under hotel. So when I go to visit my parents and can't sleep in the guest room, I'll stay at a hotel somewhere, but they're Right, not great places and not great choices, and there are suburban towns that have emptied their downtowns as well. Have you looked at that? Right, I've never looked in the suburbs, so I, I can't uh, address that. But um, definitely in the, I, I was, I, I, you know, I'm not an authority on this, but I would guess that any city, I, I don't know, maybe even in San Francisco, there is a neighborhood where that needs help. And if the government's interested in helping a community, they're looking for entrepreneurs who will participate. Um, in Miami, you know, everyone's going to, to, to the beach, but the beach is overpopulated, has plenty of hotels. Nobody is necessarily interested in helping get a hotel on South Beach. But if you go to the core of the old downtown Miami, there is a district that needs renovation. It needs uh, new energy. It needs a population base. There are other entrepreneurs who are already locating there with retail. And so we're looking in Miami for a location for a hotel. So um, I would say almost any city would have that neighborhood that might have some programming that would help an entrepreneur. 
Absolutely. Well, one of your comments from a moment ago is if you're passion-driven and you're risk-takers and you believe in it, you can make it happen. Not everyone will I, I be as successful that. as you've been. Well, I hope they, I mean, certainly if I was successful at what I what we're doing, anybody could be as successful as we have been. Uh, I knew nothing about hotels. I was raised on a farm. I was an art student, but that didn't, um, you know, as an art student, there's not a lot of uh, expectation to be financially successful when you're an art student. Of course. So uh, I think that would be that would be the rule. I think starving and artists go together. Yes, unfortunately, that's true. We we like the fact that our programming helps young contemporary artists. We we buy only living artists. Um, I, I I say that as a point of contemporary. We named the company Twenty One C to represent the twenty first century. Um, so. I feel like we are helping other people realize a dream. I hope we are. Uh, many of the young artists uh, are proud to be in our collection, and I wish them all success. Certainly, we can't buy all of anyone's art, <laughs> but uh, it's 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 really gratifying to to be able to recognize talent. And I'm thinking at the moment of um, a young artist in Havana. I was visiting an art school in Havana, and uh, we bought most everything he had, and since then he's um, he's now a teacher at at that same university in Havana. So I think um, and selling his art to other people. Fantastic. And we, yeah, it's fun. Absolutely. Um, one of the things you've said is that when you started, um, you hired either a third party hotel managers, and and yeah. then you had to start your own. Help talk. To, Talk to us about that, particularly well, as a startup growing business, <laughs> going the conventional way, but maybe it's not working. Right. We, um, I like to say it's easy to break the rules when you never knew what the rules were. <laughs> right. We, we did start with, um, we actually hired two separate hotel management companies before we realized that we could just do it on our own. And I think... Um, it was just really hard for the traditional hotel trained individuals to to understand the concept. Um, we like to say that we have a culture of yes. We we try to help a traveler who's staying with us accomplish what they need. I, I don't like to say, no, I'm sorry, uh, room service isn't open yet. We can't get you coffee so you can catch your 5 a.m. flight. Um, I don't know. It's hard to explain, actually. But, I really think that the contemporary art, while it was challenging to the traditionally trained hotel people, it creates an atmosphere that is accepting and celebrating of individuality. So our staffs, we don't require people to wear uniforms in the hotel or the restaurants. So that gives them an opportunity to be expressive on their own. And I really, we, we don't have very much turnover um, we often have young employees who are moving on to another career. Perhaps they worked with us while they were students. But um, well, when we first started, we were only five people, but now we're over a thousand employees. And um, I think we have, by and large, a really happy staff who enjoy working with us. So um, I guess that's not a great answer to your question, but um, it's a we, it's a wonderful answer to the question. I, I, 
I guess maybe it's the first you break all the rules, but it's, you know, are there pieces of this traditional hotel playbook that you have to relearn? Do you have to reinvent the wheel, or is it a different wheel? Well, certainly, we we like for our rooms to be comfortable. We certainly want the beds, the sheets, the pillows to meet your expectations. Uh, I think those are certainly traditional hotel desires. Um, but because we are all, each of the properties are unique, buying a thousand of one thing doesn't really work. And when you're working with historic buildings, your spacing is a is unique. You have to deal with the windows that are already there. They may not necessarily be the perfect room size. Uh, you know, if you build a new building, you can build 100 rooms all the very same size. You can put the windows in the same place, the bed in the same place, and the closet in the same place. But um, in Nashville, I think we have 18 different types of rooms just because of the configuration of the flooring. So, and in Oklahoma City, we're in this old factory, it's got these huge, wonderful metal framed windows that you can imagine would be in any factory from the 1900s. But uh, by the nature of the architecture, the rooms are unusually large. So it's um, it drives, <laughs> I think, for the most part, it, it drives a traditional hotel person crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. So talk to me about starting a business maybe, you know, in and around or after 60. And what's that like for you? And you described your excitement and no reason to leave, which I totally believe in and agree with. And I'm struggling to find that for myself and my friends who are looking for long careers, not retirement. Gosh, that is, um, I hope it doesn't sound trite, but I think it does come back to passion. Uh, I would wish for anyone the um, the ability to find what really makes them happy. I know that it's different for different people. Um, and I was, you know, I I was an art. I, I was raised on a farm where most everything made me. I was allergic to all the animal dander and grain dust that I was <laughs> that I grew up with. <laughs> I could hardly wait to get away from the farm. I was raised in that generation that. Certainly in the country, the desire was to go to college and get a, a great education so you could find a better job. And uh, I found that many of those people have come back to the farm. Uh, I, I think there's something about being raised in the country that you never lose. I'm just it's my own experience. I have some personal friends who did the same thing and are retiring or, you know, when you move to the farm, even if you... <laughs> Even if you've left a corporate job, you're not retiring. There's always lots of work to do on a farm. I bet. But beyond beyond farming, uh, well, I, I was saying I went. Then I went to college. I got involved with politics. I worked in uh, Frankfurt, the capital of Kentucky, with um, several governors, and then went to private public relations. Um, and I, my wife and I, finding each other really was a big important milestone in both of our lives. We brought um, a new attitude, new experiences to each other. Um, my wife's first husband didn't enjoy farming or know anything about farming. So when her parents' farm was sold, I mean, her parents' farm was sold because nobody in the family could really take care of it. And later on in life, she regretted the fact that they had sold that farm and it later became subdivided. So. Mm. 
there was a real personal issue with her in terms of losing land that was special to her as a child. And I grew up on a farm as a child. And uh, when we met, I was I was actually living back in the country. So, so that coupled with our interests in art and uh, other things led to a really enriching lifestyle for the two of us in our later years. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and are you, we'll tie these things together, I think, but um, you're also the chairman of the National Bison Association, is that correct? Well, I have been. I am not so anymore. When, when we bought the farm, it, and I feel like my wife and I could be a stand-up comedy like Sonny and Cher used to be. We we bought we bought the a, a mutual friend. We weren't even married yet. A mutual friend showed us this farm that was going to be sold and was being advertised as the next fabulous golfing community. It's a thousand acres right on the overlooking the Ohio River with fabulous views of the river, and so they were going to put a big golf course right in the middle of the farm. And build houses all along the cliff, looking in over the river. Uh-huh. So we bought the farm. Then we went to marriage counseling, and then we got married. <laughs> I recommend marriage counseling before marriage. <laughs> That's good. It's better than a prenup. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I think our our story is unique, but hopefully, I. Um, hopefully other, I'm sure other people are finding happiness in, uh, in many ways later in life. Well, I think, you know, the later in life happiness can come from marriages because it's the joy of our lives. And the work passion that you found, uh, particularly later in life, is uh, inspirational. And so many people I know who are in their late 50s or early 60s come to the end of a career and the what's next is the big question for them. And it doesn't want to be retirement. It wants to be to find some similar passion to that which you found. And it's interesting, some of your success, your success came from your passion, not the drive to go build a career and make more money. And I think you right. found a career in money out of that passion. Yes, that's true. And, and uh, providing... Livelihood for a thousand employees and their families is is uh, is a great reward. Absolutely. Another question I haven't gotten to ask, and you've been, and I, I don't want to go into politics because it's it's too crazy a subject at the moment. However, you've <laughs> you've been involved with politics, and right. you're involved with contemporary art, and you're bringing contemporary art to cities we don't usually think of as may be welcoming of contemporary art, and it may be edgy, and it may be pushy in terms of values and discussion. So talk about right. that a little bit. Well, I find um, art as a great catalyst for understanding many things. I was raised in a small community. My mother was the organist in the Methodist Church, and uh, we didn't talk about sex. <laughs> and or many other controversial kinds of things. So I like I like art. I, I'm, I love art because artists can put on the wall something that makes you think about something you may not want to talk about or haven't talked about. Right? Subject matters 
politics, war, death, slavery, equality. And uh, young artists are, are illustrating those things from their, who knows, their individual experiences or what they're studying in school or the things that are traveling to them. But um, we've, <laughs> we've shown many kinds of art subject matter that you normally would never find outside of a museum. I'm trying to think of something to, to illustrate. We had, we <laughs> got a great story in Durham. We were, we had put up a, a piece by Micheline Thomas, who's a wonderful young black female artist. Um, I think she went to Harvard and uh, she's painting in Brooklyn now. But this was a self-portrait and she's naked. So there's a painting of her and then alongside it, there's a video of her in the same. Actually, she's wearing knee socks. <laughs> so <laughs> Not she's, quite knee. <laughs> she's the video. She's uh, singing the song "Mickey, Oh Mickey, You're So Fine," and she's sort of dancing. And we were just getting ready to open, and a local community leader was looking at the painting and this exhibition, and she said, "Have you done your market research?" and <laughs> <laughs> the vice president was with her. So, well, most cities are not as conservative as they think they are. And she said, well, I think the buckle just fell off the Bible belt. <laughs> <laughs> the buckle so fell off the remark. Bible belt. <laughs> I used that remark in my opening in ribbon cutting the following day, and it was in the newspaper the next day. So, anyway, uh, we use humor and... Um, Sometimes things that are not so funny, and um, we've had some letters to the editor. Some people have been offended, but most people have not. So we don't. We're not trying to offend anyone, but uh, sometimes certain things make people uncomfortable. And sometimes those people who get uncomfortable come back again to <laughs> to, to to see something else. So I don't know. It's um, Art's a great tool for communicating for people who can't really verbalize some emotions, I think. You know, it's interesting. I, I don't think on this subject very often, but I, I think what art does is it shows a reality, and great art does not give an answer, but it shows a reality you might not have thought about, and that generates discussion. And if people right. are willing to discuss something without an answer, that kind of leads to leads to understanding, I guess. Yes, that's that's true. I have a work that uh, is an electronic timepiece that's ticking away my life. I took a, an actuary test, and the artist illustrated my what is supposed to be my lifespan in digital numbers. So it shows wow. the years, the years, the months, the days, the hours, the minutes, and the seconds of my life. So I've hung it over. <laughs> I've hung it over my office door, and most of my staff hate it. At the moment, it's hanging in the restaurant at Proof, the restaurant at uh, the Louisville property. So, you know, people don't like to think about death, but we all <laughs> we all have to face it. And uh, I, I I don't find it morbid at all. I like to be reminded uh, when I when I had it in my office. I liked looking up at it and realizing time is precious and. We don't want to waste it. You know, it's just a uh, graphic illustration. I don't believe the numbers I see flashing by, but 
I like thinking about. I like. I don't. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to waste time, and I. I want to appreciate every day I have, and I like being reminded that it's there is an end. Of course, there is. And you're living life preciously, so congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, this is very moving and, and wonderful. And I think we should wrap up. Um, um, okay, perfect. All right. Thank you. I've enjoyed the discussion. Me too. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Leading Voices with ULI podcast hosted by the Urban Land Institute. To learn more about ULI's leadership network or to join ULI as a member, please visit uli.org.